Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Come together. I will greet the sun again. I will greet the sun again, greet the stream that once flowed in me, the clouds that were my unfurling thoughts, the aching growth of the grove's poplars who passed with me through seasons of drought. I will greet the flock of crows who gifted me the grove's night perfume, and my mother who lived in the mirror and was my old age's reflection. Once more I will greet the earth who, in her lust to recreate me, swells her flaming belly with green seeds. I will come, I will come, I will, my hair trailing deep soil scents, my eyes intimating the dark's density. I will come with a bouquet picked from shrubs on the other side of the wall. I will come, I will come. I will. The doorway will glow with love, and I will once again greet those in love. Greet the girl standing in the threshold's blaze. You're listening to the Fem South Podcast, and I'm your host, Lee. So that was a poem by Firu Ferasad. Our book club just read her collection of poems entitled Sin, translated by Sholay Wolpe. Faru is a Iranian poet who lived between 1935 and 1967. And throughout this next series, we're going to be reading a few of her poems from this collection because she's now my new favorite poet. And I'm very happy that we were introduced to her in our book club and that we read her work. So our last series was focused on women healers. Um, and it's a very broad category. And we certainly were not able to cover everything that would fall under the umbrella of women healers. But one thing that happened was that many singer and songwriters reached out to me and wanted to be included in that series. And so what I've decided to do since we finished the series was then to pull them into our focus on poetry, writers, and singer-songwriters, and to focus it more on this creative side of healing. And so we had a open mic night this last April in our local community where we invited poets, writers, and singer-songwriters up on the stage to share some of their most intimate and um, vulnerable expressions. It was really a beautiful experience. It was very healing. It was very inspiring. And it's really a healing method that I feel like we don't talk enough about. We don't read enough poetry, or maybe we don't allow ourselves to consider music and poetry because we have anxieties or we feel like these things are inaccessible to us. 
And so what we really want to do is to open the community up to more of this type of um, creative expression as a mode of healing. And so joining us today is my very special guest, Haley Harkin. And Haley is a singer and songwriter out of Texas who just moved to Colorado. She's also a poet and a folk medicine healer. And so today our conversation is going to be focused on her journey, how she has used her music to heal a lot of traumas and anxieties that she's had since she was a child. And so she talks about her journey from performance, anxiety, shame, and repression of her voice to a place where she can allow herself to be heard, to be seen, and to be vulnerable in front of her listeners. So her music is healing. There's no doubt about that when you listen to it. It's so transcendent. But it's also an invitation to spend more time in nature, to spend more time in our own creative and intuitive spaces so that we can activate these healing powers for ourselves. And I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with, especially in our modern culture. We're all so busy. So I think it's a really beautiful gift that Haley is bringing to the world. And I'm thrilled for you to meet Haley Harkin. So thank you so much, Haley, for joining me this morning. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. You know, as you probably already know, poetry is a poetry and music are great instruments for healing. And you refer to your genre of music specifically as folk medicine music. So I really want to talk about that maybe as one of our first talking points. What does folk medicine really mean to you? And how did you get started with this particular type of music? Yeah, so I would say folk to me means roots, like history, uh, Appalachian, like, you know, the, the kind of the beginning of music. That's how I relate to folk anyway, is culture, stories, storytelling. And then medicine to me is ceremonial music. So music for healing, connection, um, with the intention of helping on, on a broad level, like music, of course, any genre helps people. Um, but with a certain intention, I think it has a different vibration and capacity um, for the depths of healing that it can help facilitate. And, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and you said kind of the beginning. So I've been involved in music since I was a child, but had a lot of fear and never wrote songs or anything like that. Started playing guitar in high school. And then basically when I started writing, receiving songs about five years ago, this is the genre that it was. So I don't try and control the music. I just um, let it come through and that, that's what it is. So that's kind of how I got here. So you've been playing music since you were little, but you said you, you were really scared. Can you talk a little bit more about how you overcame that fear and exactly I mean, what, do you, what do you attribute that fear to? Yeah, I think the fear is a lot, just for anybody, right? A lot of us have fear of, of a lot of different things. And especially music, I think, is a really vulnerable sharing. Just like any art, it's a very um, direct expression of your soul, of your heart. And you're just kind of putting it out there, hoping people will accept you and appreciate what you're sharing. Um, so I think it came with that and just being made fun of a lot, just self-esteem, um, but yeah, I think a lot of being seen and vulnerable with other people because 
somewhere in my life before I did not feel safe to uh, be vulnerable um, to other people. And so how that came about overcoming that fear is working with plant medicine. And that was the main key that helped me discover this whole other world within myself. And obviously the plant doesn't just do the work for you. You have to show up and do the work. So basically when my eyes opened to all this other, all these other things, every time fear would come up, I would do it anyway. So it would be like going to an open mic. Like the fear didn't just go away. I would go to the open mic, be sweating profusely, shaking. My voice didn't sound how it sounds now when I sing at all. It was very restricted and closed and afraid. But I would show up anyway and try, even though it was uncomfortable and the fear was still really strong. I would just power through it. And every time it got easier and easier. Um, so now I would say the fear sometimes will come up and surprise me. Very rarely, though, I feel like for the most part, it's gone. And then when it comes up, I'm like, oh, that's still there sometimes, you know. Well, you know, I can relate to that so much because I have extreme social anxiety, especially growing up. I had a lot of anxiety getting in front of people and speaking, and I still struggle with that. And that fear is sometimes debilitating. Like I, I want to get up and read poetry and I get up on stage and I, like you said, I'll be sweating profusely and my hands will be shaking and my voice will just drop into this weird place that I, I don't even understand. And I have to sometimes just say, it's something that's um, like, I can't control it. Like I can rationalize it. I can think about it and I can recognize like this is happening, but I can't stop it from happening. So I think that's really amazing that you've been able to work through that. Cause I know for a lot of people, that's probably um, the, the thing that keeps them from doing some of this kind of stuff, you know, like singing and writing and performing. So I think it's the body's response. Like you're saying, you can't control it. It's trauma in the body. So like the first step is to being with that, right? You're witnessing that that's happening and you're, you're not in control. And whatever you do, you're trying to be like, why am I afraid? Like, even if it's a completely safe environment, but it's the body is going through the motions of this thing. It's like the fight or flight response. And the more we put ourselves in that situation to really like witness and go through it, I think it dissipates over time. And you're more in control instead of the body just being on like an autopilot of it's not safe, you know? Yeah. And how did, what plant medicines are you referring to specifically? And how did you, how did they help you get through that? Ayahuasca in particular, that was the first psychedelic I used. And it's def definitely um, the plant I have most resonance with. That's like my, my teacher. After that, psilocybin. But I, ayahuasca for sure has um, changed my life more than anything. And yeah, I started doing almost five years ago. And prior, I hadn't written a song or anything. I didn't think I could. Um, but I think, like I was talking about a moment ago, it's a block. It was always there, but some kind of fear, I think, was keeping me from realizing my own potential or allowing myself to even be that creative, um, coming from a place of maybe unworthiness that I'm not good enough, I can't do that, and like almost like a shame feeling as well. So that really helped me uncover all this stuff inside myself. And like I said, it didn't just go away, but after a year of working with the medicine, it severely dissipated. 
and doing the things in my everyday life. Like I said, of showing up to open mics, like recording my first songs that I did. And that was all super vulnerable. And even then my voice was super shaky and, but I did it anyway, even though I wasn't perfect in my craft or hadn't developed my craft, I still put myself out there. Yeah, that's so interesting because when I listen to you now, well, the recordings that I've heard, your voice is so calm. It's so soothing. So to think that something underneath that is nervous and, or at least at one point in your life was like, you've developed this um, sort of transcendent kind of sound in your vocals and in your playing. That's really beautiful. And is the opposite of being nervous, you know? Thank you. Yeah. And I think all those emotions can be transmuted into other things. It's just learning um, the tools to help us so that it can, uh, turn into that and help other people. It's like I turn my fear into something that can help people and also helps myself. My music has healed me first before it's helped other people and just how much I've changed as a person because of music, of allowing it to just flow through. It's like the ultimate surrender, really. So I think this is a good place to, to hear one of your songs. Can you kind of set your song up real quick and then afterwards we'll talk about it? Yeah. Thank you. 
you know, I love a lot of the themes that run throughout your music, but this song in particular, the childlike innocence and that connecting with your intuition. I really love the line. I don't know if I have it correctly. Cry when I want to cry, play when I want to play. Is that it? What's that line? I cried when I needed to. I played. When yes. I to. Yes. Cry when I needed to, play when I wanted to. That's such a beautiful line. Can you talk about writing that line and writing this song? Yeah. So I think of this song as I don't go out to write the song. Um, so I didn't sit down to write a topic about inner child work per se, but the song normally comes in full form. And to me, it's the medicine that I need at that time, whether I realize it then or if it takes a year or two years to really get the lesson. But to me, what this means is that when we're just born, we are pure love with no conditions and are completely free. And then our parents do our best. But within that, there's pretty much always trauma and conditioning and then societal conditioning. And so we don't cry when we need to. For most people, we repress it. We hold it in. Um, we don't play. We don't give ourselves the freedom to really like follow our intuition, our heart. And I feel like the more you dig deeper within yourself, you realize these things. If we look at animals, they don't think. They just do, right? When they, they eat when they need to, maybe they're in a bad mood or they have trauma, they shake it off immediately. They don't carry it and repress things. It's just flowing. It's just, it's kind of beyond words, but it's just intuition. There is no resistance to anything. You're just in the flow all the time. So that's what the song is kind of talking about and getting back to the pre-programming, the innocence of children. And I think that's why so many people love children whether they consciously realize it or not, is because they're so light. And we we're attracted to that light. And we love being around them because it reminds us subconsciously or consciously of that part of ourselves that might not, it's there, but it's buried. I totally feel that. I'm working on a poem about that same topic, but mine is very different. It's a very different iteration of the same idea. But one thing that resonates is that the idea of getting back to something before like you, you, other people are judging you or putting any kind of expectations on you as well, like, or even the expectations that you put on yourself so that you can feel as you need to feel whatever that feeling may be. And like right now, while I'm dealing with this poem that's coming out of me, there's a lot of shame around the expression of that pain. So I just think it's really interesting how much we begin to repress because of shame and because of societal expectations and things like that, you know, and how then it comes out, you know, at some point in your life, it's got to come out. Yeah. And the, you have to think it's the, from the perspective of a child, which doesn't have the context for maybe how we think now. Right. So something so small could really make us feel ashamed just because of verbiage or something that someone said and they had no ill intent but it were so open as children and it's beyond words. It's a vibration that someone is giving you. And then we take it as truth and shame is such a powerful emotion that rules a lot of things in expression. And yeah, but looking at the root of it, it's just within ourselves like that. We're not good enough or worthy enough. And it's such a, when we can really transmute that, it's such a beautiful thing 
and to know that everyone deals with that to some capacity and has shame and no one deserves to feel like that either and to have like loving compassion for other people so we don't make anyone ever feel shame hopefully yeah and I love the repetition of the word wild and free in that Mm -hmm. song it made me think of when we read Clarissa Pinkola Estes book women women who run with the wolves you know your music reminds me of that book can you talk about the repetition of the word wild what does the word wild mean to you yeah, wild to me means unrestricted, like nature, wild nature, like no thoughts, just flow, intuition. And I'm still learning on how to embody that. But for this song, it feels, especially if I play the song in ceremony, I just improv for like 10 minutes at the end and be wild and just let it flow. And what comes out is always amazing and so nourishing. And so to me, with that word wild, like I really want to get wild and show what that feels like so that other people feel that. And what does that mean Like when I can be creatively free and really get weird and just let things flow and be wild? People really feel that. And it, it can, I've noticed from what people have told me, but I've also seen other people I look up to embody that. And yeah, there's just a difference. You look at someone you're like, oh, I, I can do that, right? They're being like wild and untamed and weird and, you know, not the norm, but it's fun. It's like freeing yourself to embody more. Yeah. Do people start singing along with you when you do that, especially if you hold that word for a long time, like a mantra? Definitely. Yes. And I feel like a lot of my songs, I do improv a lot like live you know and they'll start singing along and that's that like warms my heart so much when that happens because they feel free enough to express themselves even if they're not singing in tune with me they're not singing the same rhythm but that's the point is to have like to encourage others to feel free to explore those things within themselves another thing that i'm seeing in a lot of your songs is this idea of nature as a healing place for you, healing and spiritual as well. And a lot of your songs invoke the idea of the divine feminine. I don't know if that's a term that you use, but there's a lot of feminine language and archetypes in your music. And so I wanted to ask about that. Do you lean more into the divine feminine or do you have another word for that? Or how does the feminine express itself in your music? Yeah, divine feminine, definitely use that term. Also the divine or I had resistance for a long time to God. Now I, I don't, because I know what it means for me anyway. But as a global context anyway, I sometimes don't like using that word. Or goddess or spirit, those all mean the same thing to me. And uh, it's hard to put it into words. But yeah, it's not me. I'm a channel for the music. So for me, my mission and goal is to be open and be a vessel for the divine to flow through in words, in vibration. So like I said, I receive this song like it's not me. It just comes through. And I can normally feel when it's going to happen. And I put pen and paper, there it is. It's like I felt it like flying around. And I can choose to open myself to that. So... Yes, to me, music is, that is the way for me to connect to spirit the most. 
that's where I feel have have very profound experiences, especially on medicine and ceremony, where there is no Haley. Haley is watching it happen as something bigger than me is flowing through. And it's an incredible feeling of connection, surrender, divine love, um, and relating to nature. Na- to me, nature is everything also. It's all the same to me. It is creation. It's Nature is our free teacher. It doesn't cost anything. And um, so much potent energy when you go out into the mountains, like where I'm at now, it's you can feel the divine so closely if you allow yourself to open in that way. Because like I said, to me, it's the same thing. There are just different vehicles on how we access that nameless thing. Right. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to have the conversation with you a little bit more was that, you know, in my area, and I don't know if this is true. I know you said you grew up in Texas, but here I hear a lot of people talk about God, especially in a Christian context, but they always want to make God masculine. And I always find it refreshing when I hear other people leaning more into a more feminine iteration of whatever that is, the God or spirit or whatever. And I think, you know, I had this conversation with somebody else recently and I, and I said to them, cause they kept, they kept referring to God as a man in their conversation with me. And I just, you know, said, you know, I think it's, it's, it's sexist to keep referring to God as a man. Right. And they came back with, well, isn't it sexist to refer to God as a female? And I think they kind of missed the point because my point was to point out the sexism of referring to God as any gender. But if in particular, if you've been oppressed by a particular gender for thousands of years, so much to the point where you've taken the feminine out of any iteration of the divine completely, you know, that's a whole nother level of um, discussion, I guess. But like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's a subtlety to there's a shift. There's not a subtlety. There's a shift when you start to see God as something not masculine. And I know a lot of people want to then jump to, well, there is no, there's no gender either way, but it's almost feels like a little bit of a bypassing as well. And I just wonder like you and a lot of the language that I'm seeing in your songs being feminine, um, is there something maybe that's healing to you about using a more feminine iteration of that spirit versus a heavy masculine iteration of that? Yeah, to me, if anything, it's feminine, (laughs) not male (laughs) or masculine, (laughs) because if we just look at the simplest form as all life comes through a womb, how could God be a a man? Like I said, I think it's, if anything, you need both parts, obviously. There's duality is what I believe. But to me, it leans towards feminine, even what we call the earth, mother earth, not man earth. (laughs) Mother earth sounds much more beautiful and masculine like in feminine you need both energies but masculine is very um rigid controlling not flowing versus feminine energy which is flowing surrender creation um so yeah I think it definitely in like ayahuasca it's grandmother mother ayahuasca is a feminine so to me I have much more experience feeling a feminine energy and to me when I drink medicine is it ayahuasca or is it the divine? It's like the same thing. And it's feminine that I feel. And everyone I talk to is, it feels the same, basically. So, yeah, I think, yeah, most people in my community, I feel like do not refer to God as masculine. 
when I hear that, I think of Christianity. And yeah, and it I think it triggers me a little. Me too. And that's why I'm saying I'm surrounded by a lot of uh, Christian people in my personal life and then in just in my community. And I, and I, but you hear it in movies, and, you know, in TV and in media still. And, um, and when I try to have a conversation with somebody who's hung up on that masculine and, and even like suggests that there's a feminine there or that you could refer to God as she, like if you really wanted to, but not only that, but think about how it might make you feel. Think about like how you might identify a little bit more with that spirit, that creation and all the things that you just mentioned, if you allowed yourself to see it in that way. And I've heard a lot of people say that too about ayahuasca, that it has a feminine energy and there's something to that. Yes, definitely. And, you know, just looking at like for, you know, thousands of year now, years now being repressed by male energy, say if those people thought God was a woman, how that would change like everything, basically. And it's not that it's God is a suppressive thing, but it's something subconscious, a programming that, well, a man is in charge of creation. He created the world. So why you know, there would just be the subtle shift versus if we thought a woman created the earth, you wouldn't treat women like that. I don't think there'd be the repression that there has been and equal rights, pay, all of that. And just having more respect, like they said, tying back to the womb. I think there's a lot of womb knowledge that's been lost for a long time that I think people are starting to reclaim and like be more curious about. And I think that has a lot of power and potential. And I think there's a reason it's been repressed is because it's powerful. And when women start waking up to that, it can have a big shift, I think. I think so too. And um, when I listen to your music and I hear that language, it just, it warms my heart. It makes me feel, it, it's very healing for me as a woman. And I, and I, I think it would be healing for anybody, but in particular, just to have that, that language and that sound come together like it does in your voice. It's so beautiful. So another theme that I see that runs throughout your music is this idea of resisting social constructs, especially in terms of identity, in terms of beauty and aesthetics. Can you talk a little bit more about your idea of that and how you've kind of gotten to the other side of that? Yeah, it hasn't been easy for sure. And I'm still in in it. I think it's a forever journey, but I even have a song. It's not recorded yet, but it talks about a lot of this and it says it hasn't been easy. <laughs> like to be this, to really walk your path when society or parents or all of the above uh, deny your reality, which I'm sure a lot of people have experienced in some either minute way or a grand way. Um, yeah, for me, it started as a, a young child. I remember just, I had curly hair. I don't remember, like, anyone having curly hair. And I got made fun of a lot, and I straightened my hair every day. Years later, after high school and stuff, I started to accept that part of myself. But for so long, I resisted because of other people. They would say it was ugly or messy, you know, and that's just, like, curly hair is messy and wild, you know, you, like... But so people could just be mean from, like, a really young age, and so... I'm, I'm hoping like with time, just consciousness is evolving more and that there will be children who are kinder and like have better support, support from their parents to like learn how to be nice to each other. And because I think that growing up adolescent, 
years are so hard and we like form a lot of our fundamental beliefs and what we're worthy of, what defines beauty. And like I said, to me, curly hair was not beautiful. I wanted straight hair. And then also taking this unconventional path later in life. I originally went to cosmetology school and that's what I was going to do. And music was on the back burner because of my fear. And when I started to choose music as that's what I'm doing, I'm not doing hair. I'm a musician. I'm declaring that to people for the first time. Yeah, there was a lot of, there was some resistance um, from my dad about that for years. Up until now, I would say it still kind of exists. And projecting his fear onto me. Um, the programming, really, it's not him. It's his own programming. And it's probably not even his fear. It's like inherited. So like a part of me has compassion, but it can be difficult to talk to someone like that who is so in the program and in their mind that really doesn't even understand the words I'm speaking. That's how it feels sometimes. Like we're on different planets, basically. Um, yeah, and just learn and coming to peace with that, I guess, is what has the only really option for me if you're not getting the acceptance, but you still choose to follow your heart, which I hope everyone chooses that, that you're your own person that's going to always be there for you, nobody else. You, you're going to know yourself the best. Even your partner is not going to know you as well because they're not in your mind. So I think just having compassion for yourself and what I've noticed is every time I follow my heart, I'm rewarded by the universe. And every time it gets easier, the jumps get bigger. Um, but if I continue to follow that, I will always be rewarded because that's what is truth is your heart and no one else can define that for you. Um, yeah. And so relating it back to beauty, that has just been my own personal healing journey of realizing where I feel unworthy or why, which I don't even know if I've discovered yet, or it might not be irrational. Why kind of talking about how our childhood perception can skew things because we don't have the awareness yet to understand. And to me, beauty now is not my appearance at all. And that started hap happening like five years ago or so. It's the soul. That's what's beautiful to me. And when a soul shines through, that's what you feel. And when someone is just radiating, it doesn't matter what they look like. Even in partners, um, I've, I've been with the same person for almost eight years, but I find people attractive who are really shining and they're embodying love. It's not how they look at all. Um, you could put someone who's supposed to be on a magazine and they're not embodied versus someone maybe on the opposite that is embodied and there's something there that is much more, it's like charisma that you're attracted to because of the authentic, authenticity and vulnerability and really following their heart and their heart's calling so I think when we're talking about beauty, I, it's also it's also very much connected to our vulnerability and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. And what does vulnerability actually look like? And then that's also connected to our ability to be free and to be creative and to let that creativity flow in a really authentic way, not in a way that always has a gaze of some sort, right? Whether it be the male gaze or some other type of gaze that we're constantly censoring ourselves against. So I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that and how you 
how you've worked through that as well in your journey? Yeah, I think a lot of vulnerability is allowing yourself to be seen. And we can be seen, but there are many different layers, right, of our actual essence, our soul, our true self without the programming back to the child. And that in itself, when you allow that, is so healing. And that has been like one of the most important aspects that I've experienced in ceremony, in sharing music, is really being seen. And it hasn't been easy. (laughs) Many times sharing a song and just crying after in front of 40 people. That's vulnerable. And it feels so like, oh, I want to hide, you know. And you, I mean, you can, you know, or you can just choose to just be there. Um, But I think it's also like choosing who you share yourself with and who can meet you where you're at without trying to fix anything, change it or make you feel better. Right. And just like actually holding space for you and letting you be where you are in those emotions. And that's really hard because society doesn't give us the tools on how to do that. Right. If someone cries, we're normally uncomfortable because we're like, I don't want them to be sad. Like, how do we fix it? How do we stop that from happening? And so I think vulnerability in that really showing up like, Hey, how are you? Like, if you're not great, a vulnerable thing to do would say that I'm actually not good instead of just running the default program that I'm okay. Or yeah, good. I'm good. Cause it's our job to like have it together. And like I said, at choosing who you share this with, as I have done this, I'll be very vulnerable and just put my heart out there and they're not ready for that. And then I get like rejected and our energy is really precious. And so it's also like hurting ourselves when we do that. So hopefully you have some good friends um, that can hold space for you and start being vulnerable. Like, yeah, share what's really happening. And um, the more we are vulnerable, the more it opens the door for other people to be vulnerable. And that really has power to change the world. If we like told our microscopic truth, I think, as Byron Katie says. Or Brene Brown, sorry, Brene Brown, your microscopic truth. And if we all did that, we would eliminate so much suffering and stories that we create if we just said what we were thinking and feeling. And so, yeah, there can be little practices to kind of open that path for you of vulnerability. Yeah, I think it's really the key to a lot of things if we're just honest. And that starts with being honest with ourselves. And sometimes we, we don't even know what that is, and that's okay. But being curious is what, if you're curious, then it will open the door eventually if you just keep being curious about yourself. Like, why do I feel that shame? Why do I modify my voice when I talk to strangers? Women have a tendency to do that, actually. We go a little bit higher, just a little bit, versus if we were just talking to, like, our partner or something. And it's like this, we need to be different or something or be more feminine and like raise our voice. This little subtlety programming. Um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it's a great answer to the question. And I think that's a big struggle for a lot of people. I, I, I definitely struggle with, um, as somebody who has social anxiety, which I know is kind of strange because I have my podcast, but I'm much more comfortable talking behind a microphone that I am in a room full of people. If you put me in a room full of people, 
I will sweat profusely if I even have to think about speaking up and telling people how I'm feeling. So I, I think that's, it's very helpful. And I love what you said. It's like when you show up and you're vulnerable, then you're also giving people like me who are sitting back there, you know, wondering if I could be vulnerable, permission to be vulnerable. So it's interesting because I think a lot of people with social anxiety are always focused on themselves. And one of the things that's helped me get out of that is, well, you're helping somebody else. Maybe you're, maybe you have a lot of anxiety, but maybe you have like 5% less anxiety than that person sitting over there. So if you can muster up the courage, then you actually might be helping that person over there, you know, and that's important. Definitely. Well, I'd love to hear another song that you have prepared for us today. Um, do you want to set it up, though, a little bit before? Because I think that's we're probably going to listen to your song and then wrap up the podcast afterwards. Okay. Yeah, so this song is called Beauty. It is my last release that I released, and I'm it's the one I feel the proudest about, that I was really able to embody as much as I'm capable of how I'd play it live and really the meaning and message to the song. So, yeah, it's talking about how beauty is in the eye of the beholder and kind of like we've just been talking about is we're our own, like we're our hardest critique on ourselves. Most likely no one is ever thinking those thoughts about us to the depth that we're thinking about our own self. And so it's really all about perception and what is beauty to you? Um, is it society, you know, what society has deemed beautiful, the magazines, or is it this deeper knowing and wisdom and love radiating? And yeah, it's really how we see ourselves. If we really love ourselves, that ripples out and people can see that and they feel that. And yeah.
Thank you so much, Haley Harkin, for joining me on From South today. I'm so grateful for you. How can everyone hear your music and get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a really good conversation. Um, Haley Harkin on all platforms, uh, Spotify, Bandcamp. Um, I'm on Instagram, too. And I also have a Patreon page, so I post new and unreleased music on there first before I ever even, it might be a couple years before I record it, and lyrics and other parts of my life, poetry on there as well. Um, so if it resonates, then you can go check it out. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today, Haley, and um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. The Film South is a podcast and book club community produced in the Deep South. We are dedicated to educating, supporting, and empowering women through feminist theory and community. We are intersectional, we are inclusive, and we believe there is no one way to be a feminist. Feminism is an ongoing journey of self-discovery and activism. Our book club is an ongoing exchange between theory and embodiment, and we are simply here to hold space for this collective journey. If you want to get involved with FemSouth, you can go to our website at femsouth.com and sign up for our newsletter. If you would like to be a part of our book club, you can ask to join our private Facebook book club group where we read and discuss books online. You can also follow us on Instagram and listen to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play. We'd really appreciate it if you would give us some feedback and a rating so that we can know what you, dear listeners, are thinking. If you feel motivated to support us, you can head over to our Patreon account, Patreon slash FemSouth, where you can select your monetary gift. So until next time, you've been listening to FemSouth. South.